1: The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, hearing that you or someone you love has cancer can be overwhelming. Questions abound. Will I or my loved one survive? How will my family be affected? Will my insurance cover my care? Will I be able to work through treatment or will I need to take time off from work? Will my family be burdened with huge expenses? For some, the questions come all at once. For others, they arrive one by one. Having a plan to deal with these questions is vital. It can be hard to ask for and accept financial help, much less know where to find this support during a difficult time. On this episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we're taking a deep dive into this topic to find answers to these questions and many, many more. Joining us today to talk about What you need to know about the cost of cancer care is Amanda Holt. Amanda has almost 10 years of experience assisting patients with insurance optimization and advocating for alternative funding for treatments. She was hired in June of 2014 as the financial navigator and certified application counselor for Maury Regional Medical Center. There, she has played a major role. In the development of their oncology assistance programs, in her in addition to her position at Morey Regional, in April of 2016, she decided to take her passion for patient advocacy to the next level by becoming the financial specialist consultant for the cancer support community. Thanks for joining us, Amanda.
2: Yes, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me today.
1: Good. We're going to jump right in because we have a lot of questions for you. Um, but I, I just I would like our audience to get to know you a little bit. So we before we dive into this sort of complex set of issues. Um, Let's start by talking about you a little bit. Can you tell us about the role that you play in helping people navigate the financial aspects of a cancer diagnosis? Sure.
2: Um, Essentially, I'm a pivot point for our patients. Uh, ideally, I meet them at the beginning of their treatment, provide them with general information, expectations, and then I follow them through their journey. We address issues when they come up, but upfront if possible at the time. Um, and these are all financial issues that they may not know they might experience soon or they may be already experiencing at this point of diagnosis.
1: So, so Amanda, how did you get started in your role with um, as a financial navigator with Maury Regional Medical Center, and also with our cancer support community helpline?
2: You know, it's a it's a funny story. Um, a friend of mine uh, actually referred me to the position. Uh, I worked in the home infusion industry, and I've always been somewhat I would consider a patient advocate in those roles that I played in home infusion. Um, through Murray Regional, once once I, I interviewed I, and I, I got the job, um, this was a new program for them. This was a whole new concept. Uh, it was something that they actually contracted out with a company called 7X um, and the Nevectis mm-hmm. Group. And mm-hmm. that's where I met Dan Sherman. So Dan actually stepped in and helped us implement our program here to advocate Mm -hmm. for our patients, to focus on oncology. And then after a certain amount of time, it had been a year or so, uh, Dan actually referred me over to the cancer support community. Um, Our program here has been very successful, and so I was um, excited to to further that
1: experience. So, Amanda, from a broader perspective, before we drill down on some specific issues, but in, in both of these roles, What have you learned about the financial landscape facing people impacted by cancer? If you could sort of talk talk about it in broad strokes. I mean, is it, you know, is it a challenging situation? Are folks dealing with a a pretty significant burden under a cancer diagnosis?
2: Wow. That's a loaded question. It's it's (laughs) extremely complicated. (laughs) Um, Yes. Essentially, the answer is yes. I mean, it's extremely, it's such a burden on not just the patient, but their families, their caregivers. Um, And it's not just about addressing the cost of treatment either in a lot of cases. It incorporates cost of living and survival during the process.
1: What do you mean when you say that? Give us some examples.
2: So an example would be, um, let's say the person who's been diagnosed, let's say that person is head of household, carries the insurance on his or her family. Um, at this point in time, depending on the, the significance of the, the diagnosis and the treatment plan, potentially whatever happens to the patient, whether they can continue to work or not, affects the entire family. So it could be catastrophic. And and not only that piece of it, but you know, having to, to come to treatments and schedule time off for work and still float your, your daily living is a challenge in itself.
1: Yeah. And I imagine, Amanda, that 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 can lead to a whole host of other issues. So you're talking about sort of financial issues, financial challenges, but then that bleeds into everything. It bleeds into, you know, the ability to, to, to pay the mortgage, the ability to pay for basic needs that the family has. Um, does it really, does it add to the, to the stress that the patient's feeling? I imagine that's probably not a, not a good scenario.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the stress initially is the unknown, Obviously, mm-hmm. just not knowing what to expect. and and I think that's where us as, as staff members, you know we can provide some expectations and try to help relieve some of that stress, especially when it comes to the finances. I mean, whether we you know like to think of it this way or not, but you know money is our driver typically for our households, for for our futures. So it, that is just the fact.
1: so and I think we certainly know also that, Obviously, when a patient's dealing with a cancer diagnosis, dealing with treatment, we want them to have the best outcome. So I, I, I imagine the stress is probably not good for their cancer overall.
2: Absolutely not. I think there's some statistics out there that actually prove that we've actually measured that the higher level stress, you know, the, or the less the stress, the more likely they are to, to recover, to feel better through, throughout the treatment. I mean, that, that's huge in itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Amanda, just uh, break down a little bit. I know that, that patients oftentimes have financial needs and concerns as it specifically relates to the diagnosis. So things like, I guess, like co-pays and out-of-pocket costs, cost sharing, and then they have financial worries and concerns for things like you mentioned, things like, you know, rent, things like parking, things like transportation. Can you just talk about those two sort of buckets of costs that patients are facing with a cancer diagnosis.
2: Absolutely. And, and I think you nailed it. Um, the One of the two things that uh, the initial questions that I get um, from a patient who's a, a new diagnosis, a new consultation is, one, how much is this treatment going to cost me? Or mm-hmm. two, how am I going to afford to live while I'm going through treatment? So transportation is, is a big deal, especially um, when it comes down to radiation treatment. So if you have a type of cancer, you're going to receive daily radiation. Well, that. I mean, the radiation treatments themselves are kind of short appointments once you get on treatment, but you still have to be here every day, and depending on how far you live from the facility. um, So, yes, that's one of the the first issues usually that's addressed. And there are foundations out there that assist with those issues, and we as a facility, um, we actually have our own foundation, and we assist with transportation as well. So, yes, that's a a big one. Um, Cost of treatment. Really, I think it's so important to understand your, your insurance benefits, the benefits that you have currently. Your you're right, your deductible, what is it? Your out of pocket, your co pays, what's your co insurance? So understanding the general breakdown of your insurance is is so super important, I think, because that's that's a guide for how the rest of the financial situation is gonna go. Mm-hmm.
1: Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and then going. there's
2: also go ahead. Keep going. There's also the, the daily needs. I mean, down to how am I going to afford groceries or it, are there any assistance programs for groceries or utilities? Um, so, I, and, and then there are a lot of times people just want to know, how much are you charging my insurance? I, I think uh, that seems like an odd concern, but that actually is a, a real concern that I hear on a, on a daily basis.
1: Amanda, can you talk a little bit about um, the, 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 the cost that patients have as it relates to their insurance. So can you just take a minute or two to explain what is a deductible? What is a, what is a copay? What are those costs? And are, are they, are they only costs that relate to the person's medication or do they relate to tests and office visits and things like that?
2: That's a great question because it actually depends on the patient's insurance. Um, Some employer coverage insurances could break down different types of benefits that apply to different types of procedures. Um, But generally speaking, uh, your deductible applies to most everything pertaining to cancer um, treatment-wise. So you would start with your deductible. That's an amount that you have to meet before your insurance shares the cost with you. So your co-insurance is that cost, your share of it. So a typical policy will just say covers 80% of your charges after you meet your deductible. Well, you're responsible for 20%. And then once you meet a maximum out-of-pocket, that means your insurance will then pick up and actually assume the rest of the cost. So um, it's it's safe to say you you typically on most policies have. A maximum. Um, so, really, in all honesty, when we're quoting cancer treatment, uh, it generally is more important to know what your out of pocket responsibility is versus what your actual cost of treatment is. And then, in addition to that, to add to the complexities, there's generally a copay assigned to your office visits. And with oncology, um, there's a different copay for your specialists. And a specialist is is generally, an oncologist is considered a specialist. So um, that's another increase every time you come in and see the physician on top of getting your treatment. So it's very important, I think, to understand, like you said, the the breakdown of what all those components are. And that helps with the expectation of
1: what the cost is going to be. And Amanda, how, how does a person, if they don't know that information, how do they find out that information about their plan, about their policy?
2: Yeah. Fantastic question. (laughs) Um, so, uh, Generally, um, hospitals and and facilities, uh, cancer centers, all can work very differently. I think that you'll find that once you find out your diagnosis and you have your treatment options, that someone may reach out to you and actually give you that information. Um, If not, then I would encourage you to reach out to your registration staff at the cancer center to talk to them, to, um, to call in and maybe even request a financial counselor. You can even talk to your HR person at work, if you have employer-covered benefits, or simply, I know we all stash it away in a drawer somewhere, but we generally get a book of information that that talks about our insurance coverage when we sign up for our insurance. So uh, it's one of those things, dust it off, (laughs) pull it out, and and Mm -hmm. try to go through that. And then I I assume, and most people, it's going to take a Um, Mm one-on-one. So if you can get that person... In, in in person uh, conversation with someone at the center who can potentially help you with that, then
1: mm-hmm.
2: I think that's a probably a great idea.
1: Great. We're talking today about what you need to know about the cost of your cancer care. We have Amanda Holt uh, with us today. She's a financial navigator. She spends her days working with cancer patients, help them helping them navigate through. Uh, the complexities of the cost of care and paying for care and and uh, and all that comes along with that and we know in this day and age it really is a very it's a it's a maze and uh, so we certainly are appreciative that there are folks like Amanda who are out there this is frankly speaking about cancer I'm Kim Tibaldo we're going to take a quick break don't go away we've got a lot more to discuss with Amanda and we will be right back
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world,
3: or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Today's show is sponsored by AZI. We're joined by Amanda Holt, a financial navigator and counselor with the Cancer Support Community and Morey Regional Medical Center. Amanda, let's start off this segment by talking about what happens after someone receives an initial cancer diagnosis. One of the questions we hear most often when someone is newly diagnosed is, what do I do? What's next? And obviously, there's a lot that's going on with that patient. Patient as it relates to their treatment decision-making, getting, getting, you know, getting the proper diagnosis, getting a second opinion, figuring out a treatment plan, but, but can you provide some answers to that question, what's next, as it pertains to finances, and are there questions that patients should be asking really from the beginning?
2: Sure. And yeah, I think it starts with getting to know and understand their current state of coverage and then empowering them, like you said, by providing those options. Um, and a lot of times uh, the the initial question is, I think we've covered this, but cost. Um, and we can prepare for cost um, in many ways. Um, we, we can talk about estimates. We can talk about the what ifs. Um, but then uh, really, it's it's, I get a lot of questions about, my job? What am I going to do about my job? Um, so I think at that point is when we address uh, options with their employer, I encourage patients to to talk to their human resources person to, to find out if you have a short-term disability policy. Do you have a long-term disability policy? Can you file for FMLA? What's COBRA? Um, those are things that I, I would actually I really encourage everyone to, to write down. Um, those are vital questions when it comes to, to your employer um, when you're going through treatment. Um, besides that, though, um, I would suggest once you get face-to-face with someone that you can you can talk with, it's, it's deciding what your current financial situation is also. And, and a lot of times, keep in mind, it, it's not about what your financial situation has been as far as your income. Mm-hmm. It's more about what it's going to look like, what the future picture is going to look like. Um, instances such as if you were going to lose your insurance, that's a huge fear that I hear often. Um, I can provide you with potential options, especially if I know what your income is going to look like in the next year or so. So thinking through those things um, and and really empowering yourself by, by asking those questions and, and getting those answers, addressing transportation, um, that's something that your cancer center will hopefully be able to help you with as well.
1: And I know we're going to get into it, COBRA in a minute, Amanda, but can you tell our listeners what FMLA is? Yes, as the Family Medical Leave Act is what that
2: stands mm-hmm. for. And FMLA is is basically what would secure your position at your employer. Um, each employer uh, they they can have slightly different rules that surround that. But typically FMLA lasts for twelve months, and it, it's something. It would probably be actually my first step with my employer because you can be on FMLA in some cases, and depending on your 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 employer's requirements, it, you could. Come and go back to work when you could or off when you could. It just it just depends on the situation and everybody's mm-hmm. situation is different, but is very important if you want to secure your position, especially if this is going to be a short term recovery and treatment for you.
4: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And I think what you said is important, Amanda, everybody's situation is different, right? So we really need very. to drill down on your own personal situation, your coverage. Absolutely. Are you working? Are you retired? What does your insurance look like? You know, there's so much that we need to take in on, on an individual basis. Which is one of the interesting things about healthcare today, right? I mean, if we if you and I were to walk into you know, Best Buy to buy a TV, we both get the same price for the, the for the TV. But if we walked into uh, get, ca- you know, get cancer care, we'd both be charged something different for that cancer care, right? Absolutely. So it's um, side by need side, to,
2: you could receive the same treatment and it could be totally different.
1: <laughs> totally different, right? I know, I know. And I know, Amanda, so like everybody's not as, uh, you know, so lucky to have an Amanda. <laughs> we we uh, <laughs> certainly, the, our patients at Cancer Support Community are, but I just want to, our listeners to know that there are, a Oftentimes, different folks in the hospital that are typically available to help patients learn more about managing the cost of their care. But sometimes there's little awareness of who to talk to and 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 who can help me. So can you tell us who potentially the people are, what their roles are in the hospital, and and you know who who can I ask to help me? And and again, we want our listeners to know they shouldn't be afraid to ask. Right? This is you know this is something that everybody is dealing with, and you should definitely there are some places where you can get answers. Right, Amanda
2: absolutely and and I, I strongly encourage ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions. I love that you touched on that because behind the scenes we're all talking because no no one's situation is the same so uh, as far as when I say we the doctors and i the the front end staff and I the registration folks um the nurses they we we all talk, so um the more questions you ask, i mean believe me, behind the scenes we are. We're talking trying to figure it out. <laughs> so, um, and absolutely, every facility, you could have a financial navigator, you could have a financial counselor, you could have a patient advocate. Sometimes it might be a billing person assigned to these tasks to help with these alternative funding and, and answer these types of questions. Um, it could be a pre-certification person. So um, I, I do encourage, ask questions. And in a lot of facilities also, you, you have a nurse navigator. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a new and upcoming position, and I think your nurse navigator is also a good place to start. And again, I encourage you to talk to your physician. Your physician also knows what opportunities are are there
1: for you in your facility. And um, Amanda, uh, aside from those resources inside of the hospital, aside from your insurance, if folks find find themselves in a difficult situation, maybe they can't afford their you know the copay for their different medications or are struggling with some of their bills or things like that, are there resources outside of the hospital that, that, that folks can put their hands on to help them through that?
2: Absolutely great question. Um, yes, there, there are. There are so many. And and if, if you get on the internet, you Google, you can get overwhelmed. Um, I do think uh, once once you kind of know what your, your treatment options are, maybe even specifically down to what your medications are, or at least your diagnosis, there are search engines. One in particular, needymeds.com. Needy Meds Say that again. is a search engine. Needy Meds, it's N as in Nancy, dot com. So Great. Needy Meds is a wonderful search engine site that will, you can search by your diagnosis. You can mm-hmm. search by the medications you're receiving, whether they're oral or they're IV. It doesn't matter. So it, it's a good place to start. Um, it, they'll pull up from, from that website the different foundations that you may qualify for. Um, and aside from that, you can contact foundations direct, directly. Um, the Patient Advocate Foundation is, is huge. Um, it's copays.org is their website. And they, uh, they, they—if they don't have an opportunity to to assist you, they will actually refer you over to to other foundations that may have open funding, may have a different opportunity for you. So it, it's a huge network, um, and and I encourage you just to put your feelers out, reach out because you never know. Um, there's places like Rx Assist. If you have oral medications, not just pertaining, not just specifically your chemo, but maybe other things that come along with your disease, um, Mm -hmm. that's another search engine that that can help and assist and push you towards those directions.
1: And I just want to tell our listeners, Amanda, that that, uh, the cancer support community, we have a great booklet about, frankly speaking, about cancer. It's about coping with the cost of care and many of these resources that you're outlining on the show today are listed um, in that booklet, the copay assistance, foundations, the pharmaceutical support programs, and other resources. So if folks go to cancersupportcommunity.org, they can download that booklet for free, um, our Coping with the Cost of Care uh, booklet. I know we're putting a lot of alphabet soup out there to our listeners today, and we want to make sure we're (laughs) directing them to some places where they can put their hands on uh, some of these much-needed resources. Um, Amanda, how, how does a patient's diagnosis and treatment plan influence the cost of their care for example you mentioned am I going to get an oral medication or am I going to get an IV medication is the is the cost going to be different for me whether I have an oral or an IV is the cost different for me if I need chemotherapy versus radiation you know how, how do patients really think about some of those issues or anticipate some of that
2: absolutely um so yeah and and it also could it cost of care is going to determine whether also if you have a short-term treatment or a long-term treatment. Obviously, that will affect long-term mm-hmm. how much you, you end up out of your pocket. But um, you're right. It, it, your, your treatment plan could include oral chemo, and um, you might not even ha- ever have to really come into the cancer center. But at that point, the oral medications are typically covered under your drug coverage. Mm-hmm. Whether that be for commercially insured patients, or if you have a Medicare plan or a Medicaid plan, um, it, it's covered under your 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 drug card. So those benefits are entirely different, and and especially if if you're in the Medicare population, mm-hmm. those are we get into a whole other animal. Really, um, you have mm-hmm. a very high out of pocket cost really kind of regardless what you do. Um, So, yes, that's different. And then, um, of course, cost is different if you are getting IV chemotherapy or if you're getting radiation therapy in the center. Um, Radiation actually, in my experience, can be even higher than chemotherapy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's actually, it's, it, it's, more cumbersome as well and cost because that's usually the type of treatment where you have to drive to the clinic every single day.
3: Mm-hmm. So, um,
2: that, yeah, that can, that can vary greatly depending on what you get.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm So I think it's important, uh, you know, for, for, again, for our listeners to know that every case is going to be different. We're trying to give some general answers, responses, and guidelines, but that every person, uh, their situation is going to be different. Just quickly, uh, we're just getting to a break here. So just quickly, Amanda, how important is it for the patient to really speak up with the doctor, with the nurse, with the team about their financial concerns?
2: Uh, The more you stay in communication, constant communication with your physician, the more it helps the entire staff plan and navigate through your treatment. So I I do, I stress that's very important. Um, Our doctors here, they'll call me if there's a financial issue. We walk through the clinical perspective and the financial perspective to help offer you the, the best type of care. And we can't do that without you know, mm-hmm. you letting us know and staying in contact with us on on what your situation is. I think yeah, that's very important.
1: I, I do. I agree. It's so critical. We want we want folks to know look, this is these are common challenges. You are not alone in facing these challenges. You're not alone in being concerned about the money. So um, you know, speak up and and, and let's help you get connected to the resources that are out there to navigate these difficult issues. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebeldo. We are talking to Amanda Holt, a financial navigator, about really understanding the cost of your cancer care, and we're talking about some tools and resources to navigate those costs. Don't go away. We've got a lot more to discuss, and we will be right back.
3: Your life. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities. Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azai, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
3: Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
4: Support from cancer survivors. Links to
3: research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you of Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. or call 617-733-5848. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: We're back with Frankly Speaking about Cancer. Today's show is sponsored by Azi. We're joined by Amanda Holt, a financial navigator and counselor with the cancer support community and with Morey Regional Medical Center. Um, in this segment, Amanda, I really want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of this topic, and I know it's a little bit—it's a little bit complicated. But I think we have to, you know, really for our listeners, talk about some of the different options that we're um, discussing here. So let's start by by uh, talking about some of the different payment. Options available. We'll start with the with general options. I'm going to throw out a couple of uh, of different terms. I want you to define each of these for me and explain how they work and you know really when they are necessary options to um, to employ. So let's start with Cobra. What is Cobra and how is that used?
2: So essentially, Cobra is your employer your your insurance that you have through your employer at the point of termination or separation from your employer, they offer to let you keep your plan. Um, COBRA is simply the term that means that you will pay your full premium, that your employer is no longer contributing to your premium. So generally, that can double, triple, even quadruple, in some cases, what you pay to keep your insurance. Um, the reason we, we stress on this is, is not the importance of just the, the lapse in coverage. If you lose your insurance and you're not able to afford COBRA, but If you move to a different insurance at that point in time, and let's say you're halfway through the year, then you've already paid your deductible and out-of-pocket with your COBRA insurance or your employer insurance, and then Mm -hmm. you're going to start over with a new insurance, and you're going to be even Mm -hmm. more out of your pocket. So in those cases, um, that's why we stress it's so important if you can keep your COBRA. Um, But essentially, that's what it is. It's your full premium to keep your insurance from your employer.
1: So the benefit is your employers, if they've been providing insurance for you, they're required by law to offer that to you, but you have to pay the full amount yourself. But the but the uh, so 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 the upside is you can continue to have access to insurance and coverage and continuous coverage through your same insurer because you've already paid those copays and things and deductibles and things like that. But the downside is it's going to be a lot of money. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah.
2: Put it down on paper and weigh your odds. Um, the, the, the COBRA, if you look at your premiums, even though your premiums go up, you are saving yourself an additional deductible out-of-pocket. And these are kind of the things that we try to navigate through. Mm-hmm. Let's say you, you dropped your COBRA insurance, and let's say you picked up a marketplace plan at that point. Mm-hmm. You're going to start over with a deductible. You're going to have a premium for that. Once you add all that up, you could potentially mm-hmm. be paying the same amount you would be if you kept your
1: COBRA premium. So,
2: so that, basically, that's, you gotta, that's You got to take this, it
1: on this you got to ask these questions before you make any decisions, is what you're saying. Absolutely. And when you say marketplace, Definitely that's, put it on the, paper. that's the Affordable Care Act. That's what we sometimes refer to as Obamacare when you say marketplace coverage, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, great. Just so our listeners have our terms right, because it is a bit of a an alphabet soup here. That's the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. Um, so, okay, Covered COBRA. Tell us a little bit about short-term disability. What is it? How do I know if I have it? And how do I access it?
2: So short-term disability is typically, um, it's another one of those things that it's a benefit from your employer. You would access it by probably talking to your benefits person in your HR department. Um, that would be the first point of contact, I'd suggest. But um, it, it's going to be short-term, just as it, as it says. It's, it's only going to be a few weeks. Of typically, it's, you'll be paid from your employer, so you, you it's extended vacation, basically. Um, and typically, it's at a lower percentage of your pay. Example, you would only get 60% of your pay through those short weeks. And then after that, potentially, your employer, employer could also offer a long-term disability. It, it works generally the same way. Um, you get a percentage of your pay. It's just an extended, extended leave. Um, and uh, also, at that point, depending on your employer, is when your insurance may turn over to COBRA or you may get to keep it. So those, those things are important to, to consider for that too. But it's, it's extended vacation time. And it can be, and most employers will allow you to do this on top of taking your FMLA so your position's protected, uh, you have your short term, and it would allow you just some time even to kind of figure out what the plan is at that point
1: so some opportunities to kind of layer some of these things on top of each other to get you some uh, some extended at least partial coverage and then what about what is social security disability insurance obviously when we think of social security right that's the the money that we've been putting away you know through our paycheck that when we're 62 or 65 or 67 we can start collecting social security but what is social security disability insurance
2: so there can be, um, it's definitely one of those things that I think there is lack of understanding uh, with Social Security Disability. It can be temporary. Um, and Social Security Disability is something that you could apply for even if you're receiving short-term or long-term disability from your employer. These are two different things. Um, Social Security Disability is, is essentially for folks who are going to be disabled based on their diagnosis, based on what's going on for at least over a year. Um, and it's something that you apply for straight with the Social Security office on your own, or you can actually hire an attorney to assist you with that process. Um, here at our facility, we actually have a, um, uh, an employee here who is responsible for coordinating those efforts with the patient and helping the patient gather all of um, your, your medical records. There's, it's a very extensive process, and there can be very long waiting times. Um, so... I actually um, I do really want to stress that there is an option to have an attorney to help you through that process to help you with all of the, the lingo and the letters that you'll receive from the Social Security Administration. but also want to tell you that there's two different types of Social Security disability. Um, both types do actually, you get income with both. There's SSI and SSDI. Mm-hmm. SSDI, they're basically determined based on your, your assets. So if, if you have liquid assets, such as like a 401K or an IRA, things like that, Social Security Disability, SSDI, is probably going to be the option for you. And what that means is you'll be approved based on the date you were deemed disabled. You'll receive income from your Social Security Disability, and you'll also receive Medicare two years and five months down the road from your approval. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's also, and I I know I'm throwing a lot of terms out here, there's (laughs) also the S, it's a lot. And and that's kind of that, I think that's part of stressing the complexity of all this too. Um, But there's SSI is your other option for Social security disability. And that option, if you have less assets, um, that option will come with income and immediate insurance in most cases. So that's why, and that's something, that's one of those layers, like you said earlier, that we can add in from the very beginning as we're working on everything else, knowing that it's going to take some time. So don't be discouraged, I'd like to say, in applying for Social Security Disability, even if you are receiving other pay, other income from other sources, because if if you're not planning on going back to work in more than a year, or your physician lets you know that you may not ever... Um, then that is definitely
1: something I would encourage you to pursue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Amanda, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, I mean, obviously there's a lot of debate in this current political uh, uh, climate. Um, Can you, but can you just tell us a little bit about how the Affordable Care Act has affected the, the cancer space, the cancer conversation, the cost of cancer care? I know that that one of the things that a lot of cancer patients experience was that they couldn't get coverage because they had cancer. What's often referred to as a pre-existing condition. I know that the Affordable Care Act eliminated the ability to, to discriminate against those folks with a pre-existing condition. Other ramifications of the Affordable Care Act and and pr- potentially if it's repealed or replaced.
2: You know, bottom line is is uh, the Affordable Care Act did provide another option for our patients, mm-hmm. um, and and it it has been a great option because it's it's actually kept some families from reaching a catastrophic level of debt um you know i, I really i can't really speak to repealing the place because we don't right. really have a plan yet
1: <laughs> sure sure so, sure um, but i know there's a um, lot of a lot of a lot of will to keep in that pre-existing is. condition yeah 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 i think there that's is. so and, and like... the
2: pre-existing condition for the cancer community is is definitely uh, a huge focus because Obviously, that's going to affect their ability to get insurance. And it's not just people who are, you know, without a job and self-pay. It's, it's for our small yeah. employers as well who yeah. don't have the ability to offer their employees insurance. So,
1: Yeah. Amanda, we know that Medicare is, is is essentially coverage for those who are 65 and older. Again, we've sort of paid into that system over the course of our working lives. Just a minute. We've got a, a, another minute or so until our... Um, our next break here. But can you also just explain for a minute or two about Medicaid? Again, Medicare for seniors, 65 and over. Medicaid is for those who are lower income. Can you tell us about that?
2: Sure. Um, so we have uh, 19 states at this point in time who have not expanded their Medicaid program. And basically what that means is Medicaid is not in every state. It, it doesn't include people who are just low income. So you have to meet a specific category um, in order to get into the Medicaid program. Um, Medicare is for 65 and older, but also for those who um, are approved for self-security disability in some cases. Um, I'd like to to give a great example of how... Cancer and 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 the different categories of Medicaid can work very. It's a very unique situation, and it happens more than you would think. So, I have a patient um, who I sat down with. He had no insurance. he's, he's got leukemia, um, and he's his family is, is of course dealing with the devastation of diagnosis and what am I going to do about treatment and how are we going to afford it? Well, um, there there was some pharmaceutical company assistance available available for him, and and mm-hmm. through conversations and filling out the application, I found out. That he has minor children at home, mm-hmm. so that qualified him for Medicaid. That's one of those categories. So that's another also example of communicating mm-hmm. with with your staff and knowing these things because yeah. it may not be relative to cancer, but on the spot, yeah. I was able to help him with Medicaid and get his yeah. treatment covered.
1: So you got you got to talk about what's going on at home. You got to talk about your family. You got to talk about your employment situation. You got to talk about all that. You got to talk about. You know, what do you have in savings? You got to talk about all these things and don't be shy about doing that because it's really going to matter. And the more we know, the more we can help you get the best care that's, uh, you know, that's out there and get you connected to those resources. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've got more uh, to discuss with Amanda after the break. Amanda Holt, a financial counselor with us today. Don't go away. We will be right back.
3: To a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness.
4: I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Regular exercise can reduce a woman's risk of cancer, but the benefits may be diminished if she gets too little sleep, researchers said on Monday. The study involving 5,968 women confirmed previous findings that people who do regular physical activity are less likely to develop cancer but when the researchers looked at the women ages 18 to 65 who were in the upper half in terms of the amount of physical exercise they got per week, they found that sleep appeared to play an important role in cancer risk. Researchers discovered that those who slept less than 7 hours nightly had a 47% higher risk of cancer than those who got more sleep among the physically active women. While additional studies need to be done to clarify how getting too little sleep may make one more susceptible to cancer, there is no question that getting adequate sleep has been long associated with health. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention calls sleep loss an unrecognized public health problem, saying Americans are getting less and less slumber. The CDC said the percentage of adults reporting sleeping six hours or fewer a night increased from 1985 to 2006. Sleep experts say chronic sleep loss is associated with obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, cardiovascular disease, depression, cigarette smoking, and excessive drinking. In addition, research has shown that people who get regular exercise have a reduced risk of breast, colon, and other types of cancer. Experts think the effects of exercise on the body's hormone levels, immune function, and body weight may play an important role. In other news, scientists say drugs used to control diabetes may lower the risk of prostate cancer. Recent studies have reported a decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men, although it is currently unclear whether use of anti-diabetic medication affects the association between diabetes and prostate cancer. Researchers studied a group of men that were diagnosed with prostate cancer and a group of control men without prostate cancer. The total number of subjects comprised nearly 50,000 individuals. Oral diabetes drugs were used by 7.5% of the men with prostate cancer and by 8.4% of controls. The prevalence of insulin use was 2.5% in the cases and 3% in the controls. Men who had a history of taking any diabetes medication had a 16% lower risk of prostate cancer. The decreased risk was comparable for all antidiabetic drugs, including metformin and insulin. The investigators found that the overall risk, as well as the risk of advanced prostate cancer, decreased with the amount and duration of medication use. While the potential mechanism behind decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men is currently unclear, it is very likely that the changes in endogenous hormone metabolism occurring in diabetes have an important role. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News.
3: Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, and over Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. or call 617-733-5848. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored by AZAI. We're closing out the show with Amanda Holt, a financial navigator and counselor with Morey Regional Medical Center and with the Cancer Support Community. Amanda, we're, we're getting to the end of the show. Um, again, I, think, I feel like we could talk for three hours and not even... Scratch the surface on these complex topics, but you know what advice do you have for people who feel like they've just exhausted all of their resources? They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. It can be so overwhelming. People feel like tell me they feel like they're just drowning with some of these issues and some of the burden of the finances of cancer care. What what should they do?
2: So uh, first of all, Kim, I think it's an opportunity to reflect stay positive, um, and again, stay in contact with your, your point people at your facility. But as complex as the situation is, I think reminding them to focus and, and keep things as simple as possible is important. Um, trying previous options, again, is never a bad thing to do. Um, even if, you know, you're, you're reapplying for the same thing, I think that there are probably questions that we're going to ask that you don't realize about your situation that has actually changed. So I, I'd there's nothing wrong with starting over, back to the basics, and trying again. But stay positive, get plugged in. Um, some of your groups, there are support groups that are operated your cancer facility. You never know what you'll find out on a peer-to-peer level with with networking with people in your support group. There's a lot of local assistance out there that that's not heavily advertised. There's a lot of community assistance. So, and and on top of that, I think that. There are several times that I've simply just sat down with a patient who seems so overwhelmed, and I think it's really because they keep getting those bills in the mailbox, and it can come Mm -hmm. down to something as simple as organization. Mm -hmm. So I think having, if you're a spreadsheet person, if you want to write it down, if you want to put them in a notebook or a folder, I think keeping those bills organized together. And if you don't understand something, make sure you ask questions. But I think that's a huge stressor for a lot of patients because there are so many different places that these bills are coming from. It could be lab companies, your doctor, the facility itself. So stay organized as much as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Amanda, you know, I I just, I I love hearing some of the stories. So give us another success story. Uh, You know, tell us about a patient there that you may have helped. And again, by them sharing some information or, um, you know, revealing some of the details of their situation that you were able to connect them with some resources and get them some help.
2: Sure. Um, you know, this morning I, I actually, I walked in to, to one of those success stories. Um, a patient uh, came to me in December of 2014. It was shortly after I took this position and um, she, she had ovarian cancer she worked at a part-time job, no insurance. Her husband worked, but his employer did not offer spouse coverage under the policy. So, she's completely uninsured at this point. Well, we were, uh, we, we started actually with, with hospital financial aid. So, I, I helped her with our financial aid um, that we offer, our charity program. And then very, very shortly after she started, um, there was uh, the ACA Marketplace Open Enrollment so we were able to enroll her into an insurance, and simultaneously, during all this, we we helped her file for Social Security disability. Well, now here we are, two years down the road, and uh, this morning when I when I said hello to her, she said, "I just want you to know, I'm I'm so excited. You know, it's been two years. I've kept my marketplace plan. her Her plan cost her twenty dollars a month to have to cover her mm. cancer treatment.
4: Mm. Um,
2: and and. She was approved for social care disability, so she got her income during that time as well. So it kept them afloat. And then now she's at the point of her Medicare. Now that she's on disability, her Medicare is kicking in. We were able to talk over the last couple of years about what her options were when she got her Medicare. She now has Medicare and a Medigap plan. She has 100% insurance coverage. So wow. she, she informed me of that when I walked in this morning, um, uh, and I was I was so excited to hear that. But that that's a great example. Over that's a long time. We worked together for a long time, and mm-hmm. it was it was a very good success story
1: on her part. So, so again, just um, reminding folks, you've got to just open your mouth. You got to tell people what's going on. You know, you've got to talk to your medical team. You know, they they at least will have some sense of some of the resources that are out there. Uh, to help you, Amanda. Um, earlier in the show, you threw out a couple websites. Um, can you can you talk about those again as we get to the end of the show? A couple of those websites and places where folks can go to look for some of that support and information.
2: Absolutely. Um, the, the Patient Advocate Foundation, it's copays.org. Um, and they are, it is, as, it, as it suggests, they're, they're an advocacy foundation that um, they'll help you in some instances with copays, help you with the cost of your treatment. Um, and if they can't help you, they're really great about forwarding your information on or forwarding you on to another local organization or um, a national organization that may be able to help you um, there is the pan Foundation patient access network foundation um, and and they can be found online also the pan Um mm-hmm. they they kind of they have an array of different diagnosis uh, specific medications that they help cover they also help with transportation um, there's also cancercare.org they help with transportation and they will also triage you to other different organizations if if it's needed the health well foundation leukemia lymphoma society needy meds pparx which is prescriptionforpartnershipassistance.org there's rxassist.org and i think if you if you start in one of those places again i want to stress that needy meds is, is a great search engine um, Would you start in one of those places? It's, it's kind of going to lead you down the path to your next steps and on to the next person. And again, um, as Kim mentioned earlier, the cancer support community, our website offers information, disease specific, just general information um, about your disease. I think is, is really great. I actually refer to it on a regular basis. And then they have great frankly speaking about cancer tools resources to use to write down questions for your physician because if you don't write them down if you're anything like me i know you'll forget (laughs) so those are those are just to name a few um and i know that's a lot but there there actually is a lot of assistance out there
1: yeah uh we've got about a minute left amanda any last takeaways or tips for our listeners today
2: um, I, I want to re-stress um, getting plugged in and know that we've said that over and over, but I, yeah. I really don't feel like I can stress it enough. Um, and, and, and support groups. Uh, our facility, I know, offers support groups, and, and I know that there are various uh, facilities that do, and even support groups that aren't associated with your facility. Uh, there's Gilda's Club, if you have one in your area. Um, so I really stress getting plugged in, and also please share your success stories and even the unsuccessful yeah. stories because that's how we we all learn how to help you. And yeah. I learn from our Go patients. Ahead. That that's how I learn every day. I learn from our patients, and, and they all mm-hmm. teach me something new every day. So please share. We want to hear.
1: It's great advice, Amanda. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a really important issue. It can be so daunting. So complex, such a maze, and you've really helped shed some light on the resources available to patients and families. And to all of our listeners, I want to thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Thiebeldow from the Cancer Support Community. At the Cancer Support Community, we do provide a multitude of in-person, online and over the phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to face cancer alone. Uh, Visit us on our website at cancersupportcommunity.org. As Amanda said, we've got a ton of great resources online. Everything is free. Um, you can also call our helpline and talk to uh, talk to folks like Amanda, talk to uh, social workers, other counselors who have great expertise. Call us at 888-793-9355. If you're grabbing a pen, I'll say it again, 888-793-9355 to speak with a, uh, a counselor um, uh, and again, we'd like to invite you to join our advocacy, uh, network at advocate, cscadvocate.org and to join our cancer experience registry and share your voice with us at cancerexperienceregistry.org. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.